Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Hey guys, episode 38 of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. Uh, this episode, we are on the phone with Josh Cook out of Northeast Louisiana. He's with Louisiana Deer Trackers, and this whole episode is going to be about the do's and don'ts of calling a dog. Uh, Josh, thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. Glad yeah. to be here. Great. And then we've also got Locke Wheeler on the phone. Um, all of us are in kind of... Uh, uh, three different places. I'm in Illinois in about four inches of snow after a crazy hunt today. Locke, you're in Kansas, yep. right? Yep, dealing with the same thing. Same thing. And then, Josh, y'all are getting, y'all are starting to get that weather now, I think, huh? Yeah, it's pelting over here. It's getting pretty pretty strong winds and raining pretty good. Yeah, so it's been a pretty interesting trip so far, but um, we won't, won't get into that. But uh, anyway, I'm glad to have y'all on. This is an episode that we wanted to do since last season um, about calling a dog. What are, what do we do as hunters? What's our responsibility? What's our expectations? What's your expectations, um, you know, for how to get a dog on the trail of your deer that you've either wounded or lost or killed? So um, before we get started, we're going to give a big shout-out to this week's sponsor, Gator Coolers. They just got a brand-new shipment of coolers in a day. Website's fully stocked. They are ready to deliver your new cooler. If you've got pre-orders, it's going to be shipping out. Definitely want you to check out their custom program on the customizable cooler lids and also the laser engraving for their camp cups. So check it out at GatorCoolers.com. That's G-A-T-R Coolers.com. All right, so getting into this week's episode, um, let's talk about the foundation of, of kind of what you do. You are a, uh, a dog tracker, so what kind of dogs, dog or dog, I think you have more than one, what kind of dogs do you have, Josh? Well, so I think there's, there's kind of a certain dog for a certain situation most of the time. Um, so I run some, I've got a Bavaria Mountain Hound, um, she's pretty good. Then I've got a Lacey Cur dog. Um, then we also run some Catahoulas, and I've kind of dealt with all of them though. So I, I prefer. I think Catahoulas is kind of my preference at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, Laceys are definitely a strong option, and then Hounds, like I said, they kind of have their their niche as well. So uh, when when you say certain dogs in certain situations, kind of explain what you mean by that. So. The way it's set up right now, Louisiana is one of the only states in the southeast 
where we are required by law to be on leash at all times. That includes during dog season. Technically, the way the law is written is we should be on leash at all times if we're tracking a deer. This is this so, is private land too. Private land, public land, federal land, it doesn't matter. Huh? All land, you by law should be on a leash. I so I track would, in multiple states. Yeah, I thought that was I a track. federal thing. Okay. I mean like a like a, a public land thing. Okay, I didn't realize that. No, no. Yep, and like I said there's there's a common misconception that during dog season, you know, running deer dog season that you can go off leash and and that is a misconception. According to the Louisiana law, you have to be on leash at all times if you're tracking a deer with a dog. So I track in multiple states. I track in Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Texas. So in all of the surrounding states around us, um, you can track off leash. You can bay deer, you know, wounded deer. Most wounded deer, say with a leg shot, you know, most of them, I guess, could live depending on the situation. Um, so in a leg shot situation, that's where I think a cur dog kind of kind of excels. Um, they're, they're a lot quicker. They're a lot more agile than a hound. And they've got a lot more grit for a baying um, to bay up a deer. Um, so that's that's kind of the situation where I would say a cur dog would, would excel. Now, then there's a hound. You know, uh, your hound breeds. If you shoot a deer this evening tonight or the, uh, this evening hunting and then tomorrow morning you decide, hey, let's take a dog in there. A car dog can probably do it, but a hound would do it a little better. Um, then you've got guys who, you know, they, they don't they don't know about the dogs or they don't know somebody to call, then they don't get to call somebody until, you know, 48 hours later or 72 wow. hours later. And that's where your hounds, you know, they, they really excel. They've got the nose power to really pack the punch on something that old and cold. That's wild. I, did, I had no idea that the trail was still followable at, at that age. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's guys who definitely specialize in that stuff. I've got some, some friends up here that, um, most of, most of the guys that I know that run dogs that do track that old run Bavaria mountain hounds and they train specifically for that. I mean, basically <laughs> they want to go on those 72 hour olds. I mean, they'll track it before, but if they hear about that 72, boy, that really gets their blood pumping. Interesting. So. That's wild. So, so that, that, leads us to the the next question which is what is the dog smelling what's what what is the thing that is still in the area on the ground 72 hours later so there's there's multiple ways to train a dog i don't think there's necessarily a perfect best way for everyone um the way i train and the way most of the guys i deal with train we all train on interdigital uh hoof scent so a deer, whenever it's, it's in its normal life, it puts off, obviously, the smell of a deer. Once that deer is shot and mortally wounded, and it, it starts feeling like, oh, this, this is it. You know, this, this is my time. It starts putting off a, a different smell through that interdigital gland. Hmm. Interdigital gland is between the toes of the deer. It's in all four toes. Um, you can actually pull their toes apart and, and dig it out of there. It's kind of a waxy substance, but... Once they start feeling like they're they're going down or the, or they're mortally wounded, they will put off that smell of kind of an impending doom or or whatever you want to call it. So that is what our dogs track. Now, you've got other people who train differently. Their dogs, you know, I've heard of dogs that can only follow, you know, a deer until they run out of blood. Well, that's kind of a catch twenty two because the whole reason to have a dog is because you can't find blood. Sure. Yeah. So. That's why we try to stick to the interdigital gland. So how do you go about replicating that in training? Right. So that's a good question. Um, basically, the, the scent never really goes away off of the foot. Um, once, once that deer is shot, and like I said, it, it feels like it's going to go down, you can, you can, once you find the deer, it runs 200 yards, 300. You know, I've tracked them seven miles before. I mean, but once you find that deer those feet still have that scent to them. Um, so what we do as trainers, we will cut the legs off of the deer, all four legs. We usually cut them off at the knee. Um, and then we put them in a freezer bag and freeze them. And then once we start doing our practice tracks, we will take that leg out. And that's how we lay our practice tracks is with that leg from a deer that was shot and ran. That's wild. So any yeah. deer leg will do for you. 
nope it has to be a deer that was shot and ran so that's the important the important factor a lot of guys when they get into this they say okay well i see a roadkill deer out in front of my house you know once mm. a week or whatever i'll just yeah. go cut the legs off it doesn't work that way you the deer has to be shot and then know that it's going to go down run off and and that's the leg you want so if you shoot a deer and it drops right there that those legs won't work for what we're trying to do because then if you use those legs, that deer didn't have time to really build up a scent of mm-hmm. going down. It was immediate, right? So if you use those legs, your dog will learn to just track deer in general. And that's how you end up with a deer dog. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I've always wondered what it was that the dog was differentiating between deer. Um, where if you, like, for example, if you had a deer run through a bedding area, why mm-hmm. wouldn't the dog just kind of essentially be have like sensory overload um but he's smelling a substance or a gland it's a pheromone yeah a pheromone essentially that's nothing that's 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 totally detectable as being different from all the other ground scent that's interesting so yeah absolutely that's uh, absolutely it and and i tell you you can really tell the difference in dogs trained in different ways you know i've i've tracked behind dogs that was trained by other people and uh, people who don't necessarily train the way that I do, and you can tell the difference when they hit that bedding area. Boy, they they got to go and check every deer. They may go 200 yards on each each uh, path out of there before they really line out which deer was what. And uh, you know, some some of these dogs are so so highly skilled. Um, I know me personally, I've tracked inside high fences, and there can be deer literally walk right in front of the dog, you know, 50 yards away. My dog look at it and just keep tracking. He never picks up his head. Doesn't really care about it at all. He wants that wounded deer. That's wild. So, um, if you had to guess for how long you've been doing this, how many tracks do you think you've been on? Oh boy. Well, I'll say this: there, there's a difference in some of us compared to others. Um, I know I see it, especially up in the northern states, um, where some guys only want to track deer that they think are for sure dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Typically here, uh, at least me and my close circle, if they call and it sounds like it's anything mortal, we will go try it. Um, you know, that that's that's what I think the dogs are for. Um, I've been on many tracks where people say, you know, I know I didn't hit, hit the deer, but he was a good deer. I at least want to try. Then we get out there and 100 yards later, we pick up a little butt blood, you know, and the people are just blown away. Cause they say, oh, man, there's no way. So I say that to say this. I've probably been on, I don't know, I'd say 400 or so tracks probably at this point, Mm -hmm. but it's because I don't really turn tracks down. Um, So if you put that in like a a percentage of fines, say, you know, well, how many, what's the percentage of fines that your dog does? Well, that's really an unfair number because we don't really turn down tracks unless, like I said, you know, they hit them in the top of the back or something. Then that's obviously something we won't want to fool with, but I would say probably somewhere in the 400 to 500 range. Um, and we found, I would say probably 150 ish somewhere in that number mm-hmm. with all of my dogs combined. Wow. So when you, so that's about, let's just say that's about 33% recovery rate for the tracks right. you've been on. Obviously that's not your or the dog's fault for not finding the deer for the other 66%. Do y'all think that the deer lived? Not always. And that, that comes back to, to what I was getting at earlier. Louisiana law has got us in such a bind right now where it really, it really hinders us to be able to do the job efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, with us having to stay on leash, a lot of times um, you'll get out there tracking the deer and then it jumps up. And I mean, this thing's struggling to get away, but he gets away. And, you know, you could find gut in a wound bed. And I'm telling you now, if a deer, if you find gut in a wound bed, there's a 100% chance that the deer is going to die. A mm-hmm. deer does not heal gut naturally. So it's unfortunate that sometimes we lose deer because we can't unleash our dogs to bay mm-hmm. or, you know, even a leg shot. I tell you, a leg shot's another one that, you know, a leg shot deer, yeah, he can get up and run. He can live for, for a couple of days. Well, then next thing you know, his leg starts getting gangrene or whatnot and the coyotes catch him. And then you lose, yeah. you know, a, a, a potential prospect of a wall hanger. But not only that is all that wasted meat, but it, it all comes back to the Louisiana laws are so, I would say they're, they're just out, out of date right now. I mean, like I said, all of the surrounding States, you know, they're, they're not any bigger than us. They're not any 
you know, any more lenient on the hunting rules. They're actually more strict most of the time on the hunting rules, but they will allow a tracking dog to go off leash. And that will drive your recovery rate, uh, rates way up mm -hmm. compared to being on leash. Sure. Sure. Now, um, do you ever have a dog that, uh, so gung ho rips it out of your hands and just takes off? He's got 20 foot of cord behind him. I have had that happen. It's, it's obviously something that we try to avoid because there again, you know, we, we, I'll tell you me personally, I try to abide by the rules as much as possible, you know, but it does happen and it has happened, uh, especially with the bigger dogs, uh, big Catahoula, big bulldogs, mm -hmm. they, they'll get a little, little rampy on you and pull it right out of your hand. Absolutely. So. Well, um, that's, that's, uh, th this is so interesting to me because this is something I've, I've personally never, um, experience until recently um very recently opening day of um, a certain nwr in northeast louisiana um and uh, i believe you're familiar with this track because um your friend lyle was helping us on it but we had a guy that shot a deer and um you know i i i bet i bet you wish you had a dollar for every time you heard somebody say they made a perfect shot right <laughs> yeah i'd be rich by now for this sure. guy this guy made a perfect shot right needed a dog because yep. perfect shots need dogs and exactly. um but anyway uh they did the right thing um uh, the guy that shot the deer had never called the dog the guy that brought him has called y'all a few times let's just say that y'all know where his camp is, right? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Y'all don't need directions to it anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, anyway, uh, this deer was gut shot. It was according to, came out the gut, probably caught one lung, right? And um, deer laid down on the palmettos. Uh, they backed out, called y'all. Lyle showed up with his dog. What kind of dog does Lyle have? Lyle has a Catahoula. Catahoula, okay. Each. Yep. Um, and, um, anyway, uh, deer was still alive, kind of scurried off very, very nice, um, seven or eight point buck. Anybody listening right now would have shot this deer on public land. And, um, it was a four hour track all in all. This is a tough, a tough situation. Also, we, we, we didn't have a bow. We were not expecting to find a live deer. And we could not have a handgun. All we had were knives and a very alive deer. Okay. Um, like the kind of type of thing where if you got close to it, this deer was going to attack. In fact, he ran straight over the dog, took off, ended up in a slough. Dog found him again, crossed the other side. We lost him. One of the most unbelievable experiences in my entire hunting career where I couldn't believe this deer was still alive, right? And um, that was heartbreaking. But to see it, witness it in person, I mean, honestly, we, we didn't quite know what to do because none of us had a, is there a way to – I don't is that is it legal to shoot a deer with a bow at night with a dog barking in its face? with a? No, and this all comes back to Louisiana law. I yeah. Mean, you know, it, especially, you know, tracking out there – you know, he's on leash the whole time and then the deer jumps up and the dog kind of, you know, they, they get in a scraffle, but mm -hmm. he's, he's got to keep his dog on leash cause he can't just unleash him, you know, on a reserve or anything like that. So it's kind of tricky. You, you wish you could have a gun at night. You wish you could put the deer down. You wish you could, you know, shoot him again, but according to the rules, according to the law, yeah. we just can't do anything. Yeah. So I know, you know, I know all of those guys out there. It's funny when, when he was headed back home, he gave me a call and he's like, Hey man, um, you got those guys trained, right? He said, nobody had nothing out there other than a pocket knife. And I'm like, you know, it, we try to abide by the rules. It just, it makes it tough. You it know, it makes it tough. Very unfair. Now, it, 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 it was man, because this deer's dead. Okay. He, it right. is, it is dead. Now it is in the woods today, rotting away somewhere. I, I gave, we'll talk about this in a, in a few minutes. Um, the guy that called the guy that shot the deer gave him 30 bucks because that's what, um, what he had in his wallet. I gave Lyle a 50. This is not, not my deer, right? right. This is somebody else's deer. 
But we were all in knee boots, and Lyle was in um, uh, uh, duck boots. Duck I'm boots. Sure. Yeah, short, short yeah. ankle duck boots, right? Jeans. Yeah. He's walking up to. He, he literally, when we got back to the camp, soaked to his crotch in water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And never complained a second. He was on it the whole time. I mean, we we literally we pulled him aside and I gave I, I put money in his hand. I said, "Don't look at it, put it in your pocket," because I didn't want him to turn it down because he earned five times more than that in my book for following us on that track. It was a long track, long walk there, long walk once we found the deer, long walks back, long walk back. And um he's had boots full of water the whole time. And he did his job, and the dog did his job. And like he said, he he felt as if nobody was more disappointed about that than the dog was. Um, yeah, it, it's really tough on the dogs. I mean, especially something like that where the dog gives so much effort, you know, just so much effort to try to get these deer. Mm-hmm. And and then the deer, you know, it, the the really unfortunate part is when you go home at night as a tracker, you know, we – Lyle, this is Lyle's second year tracking. Um, I trained doing O for him and got him going. And then, so this is his second year and he and I do a lot together. Um, but you, you go home at night and then you call your tracking buddy up, right? And you say, man, you know, we had a gut shot deer. We, he, he was on him real good. You know, we seen the deer, he was barking at him in his face and then the deer decides to run. And then we got to try to catch up to him and, and all of this. And then you say, well, he was gut shot. So I know he's dead. And we, we give, all the effort we possibly have, but don't get the deer, mm-hmm. you know, it's so unfortunate for the dog because in his mind, he says, man, you know, I, I put in everything I had for that <laughs> and, yeah. and you, you have to take him home and give him some chicken nuggets or something and say, you know, we'll, we'll try again later. You know, we'll try another time. All right, guys, Louisiana bow hunter shop of the week brought to you by Tacticam. Today we're on the phone with Troy Case out of Wall Hangers Archery in Moss Bluff, Louisiana. Troy, I appreciate you joining us today, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, so tell me, where are y'all located in Moss Bluff? We are at 275 Bruce Circle, um, down by Pito's in the old open door uh, church building down there on the right past the funeral home. Gotcha. Okay. Now tell me, um, what brands, uh, bows, and archery equipment do y'all carry there? We are a Matthews dealer, uh, Hoyt Elite. Uh, we have the Mission Crossbows, we have Killer Instinct, Camex Crossbows, um, Hill Tip and uh, Eastern Arrows, um, Costa Dealer, we got Summit and Millennium Stands. Uh, so y'all carrying, y'all carrying deer stands and hunting supplies too now, that's great. Um, oh so, yeah. So something I've seen recently online, y'all are doing custom arrows there, what can you tell me about that? Uh, we have, uh, I mean, we have an assortment of wraps and fletching, and we do, you know, whatever the customer wants, or if they want us to pick it, we do that too, just to match it. You know, some guys want to match their, their rig, some people want some bright, some people, you know, whatever it takes, we, we get it done. Absolutely. Now, um, do y'all have anything uh, kind of coming down the pipeline pretty soon at that location? We do. We're in the process of building a 40-yard indoor 3D range. Uh, five or six lanes wide with a uh, shooting platform, elevated shooting platform. The air conditioning for the LED lighting is going to be pretty nice. Very cool. Very cool. Look well, to have that open probably first fourth of next year. Awesome. That's exciting. Well, that'll be good. Th- that'll be a good thing for that area. I know that uh, southwest part of the state is kind of lacking in the, um, the the target archery world uh, and the indoor range uh, aspect. Well. Um, Hey, man, I appreciate you joining us today. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we jump off of here? Uh, man, that's what I got. Um, we are loaded down with inventory, and we have a big selection of bows. The new Matthews are out. we got about 60 of them on the way, so come see us. We'll make a deal. Nice. Awesome. Well, Troy, thanks for your time today, man. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right, guys, let's get to the Louisiana Bow League update. Uh, we've got some pretty hefty scores coming in now. It's starting to get about the halfway point of the season. Got a lot of people breaking into the triple digits now. All top 10 teams are in the triple digits. Uh, first place, Stacking Racks, 330 and two-thirds points. Second place, Stay Stealthy, 269 and a half points. Third place, Button Bobby, 230 points and three-quarter. Four, Heart Stoppers, 210 points. Number five, Crimson Trail, 205 and a half points. 
Number six, Bloodline, 205 eighths points. Number seven, I'll Stick That, 189 and a half points. Number eight, Overdrawn, 174 and three quarter points. Number nine, Train Killers, 152 and five eighths. And finally, number 10 at 138 and seven eighths points. Starting to get a pretty good competition going now. A lot of people in the triple digits and uh, some pretty high scoring points. So I think it's gonna be fun, especially as the state starts to get closer to the rut. You get a lot more bucks up on their feet during the daylight hours. And you're gonna see these, uh, these teams swing in position pretty heavily each week. So y'all be sure to stay tuned, and we'll update you each week. Let, let's talk about the um, compensation aspect for a minute. This is a question I'm sure you get all the time. Um, what is protocol? What? Uh, and I know you can't speak for everybody, but um, I I believe that y'all do this as a hobby. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I also think that y'all, y'all meaning trackers, you and your dogs, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Y'all do this out of enjoyment and I'll get letting the dogs work in, in, in some ways. I don't think hunters realize this. It's somewhat of a symbiotic relationship. You need the hunters to wound deer. The hunters need you to find their deer. Right. Um, but right. at the same time. What is um, what is the correct way to, to compensate a tracker when they when they come out and see you and help out? So so like you said, obviously I can't speak for everyone. Um, I can only speak for myself. Uh, with that said, like I said earlier, I travel to multiple states. I track all over. Um, I'll go into this and say the obviously the least I've been tipped before was no tip at all. Mm-hmm. But the least amount of tip I've ever got from someone who was giving me the most he could give me was a was just a handful of change and i'm talking nickels dimes quarters um coin change mm-hmm. the most i've ever got was in texas um i tracked for denny bauer professional fisherman um and they tipped me six hundred dollars for coming out there wow so it, there, obviously you can see the window is huge um for me kind of what i think is fair um obviously if you're in the if you're in the dog business anything any kind of dog business and thinking you're going to make it rich or make profit from it, you should find another hobby first of all. But for me, if I'm going to be okay, let's just say if I'm going to be in a, in a 30 to 40 mile radius from my house, I don't think 40 bucks is bad. 40 bucks is, is not going to make or break somebody most of the time. Mm -hmm. And that basically covers gas, a little bit of dog food and something that people don't normally think about is, you know, we, I'm sure I speak for most of us on this. We all kind of set back a little bit of money because even being on leash deer are extremely dangerous and they can gore your dog on the end of that leash just sure. as well as they can, you know, anywhere else. So, it, you know, a lot of people think, well, man, it ain't going to cost you but 10 bucks in gas to get over here and back. Yeah. But, but also I'm trying to save money to be able to repair my dog, to keep him alive. Cause he's not just a tracking dog. You know, he's my buddy too. Mm-hmm. So, so, I would say anywhere, you know, if it's within 30 minutes to an hour from, from someone's house, 40 bucks is not terrible. Um, and then once you get over that, you know, w- once you get on out there, you're talking about two hours from someone's house, I would say a hundred bucks would be, would be pretty fair. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really just in Louisiana. We, we don't have a shortage of dogs around here. Um, and we don't have a shortage of, of good dogs. You know, there, there are a lot of good dogs in Louisiana. Um, up, up North in the Northern States, man, they, they charge mega bucks. You know, you're talking <laughs> I have a, 400, 500 bucks. I have a good story for you that just happened today. <laughs> today. <laughs> there you okay. go. <laughs> this crap, I've been, I've been waiting to do this podcast with you so I can tell you this story because we've been cracking up about it the whole, t- the whole time in the car, car ride after this morning. My buddy, Chad Abear, Locke knows him. He was on our very first podcast episode. I'm up here hunting some land that he's been hunting for years. And today, no, I'm sorry, yesterday, yesterday evening, he shot a nice buck. And he shot it further back. Um, Long story short, he should have stopped the deer before he shot. And he shot and the deer took one more step and went about six inches further back than than anybody would want it to. And it was gut. And he took off and we had great blood. And then we didn't have great blood. And then we had no blood. And then he crossed the creek. And then we had very little blood and then here we are three quarters of a mile away 
wonder, you know, batteries dying in our flashlights last night at 11 p.m. Um, knowing it was going to rain this morning, snow was coming, and we're like, man, what are we going to do, right? So this right. morning we call a dog. We had, you know, the guy that owns the property said, oh, you know, Daniel, Daniel's got a dog. Call him. So we call Daniel. Daniel answers. We said, hey, um, we're in Fayette County. Uh, we shot a deer, blah, blah, blah. We think it's dead. It went over this way about this far, blah, blah, blah. Uh, how much do you charge? And the guy, <laughs> the guy goes, well, um, I charge a minimum of $300. Right. And he was, <laughs> we were on speakerphone with him and, and we're all looking at each other. We're like, Oh my God, $300. Like, man, this ain't that big of a deer, Chad. Right. So he says, <laughs> he says $300. And you know what I say? I say, man, what's his schedule? What kind of food does he like? <laughs> how often, do you, <laughs> how, how often do you let this dog out every day when I take him home with me after you? <laughs> you yeah, go, exactly. $300 exactly. for a track. I better keep the freaking dog, you know, no kidding. man. But, but in, in, he didn't ask. He didn't ask any questions about where it was when it was shot. It was just like it could have gone twenty five yards. It'd be three three hundred bucks. I was blown away because in Louisiana, especially in the Louisiana Deer Trackers and the other networks we have in the state, y'all are pretty vocal and open about the fact that y'all don't do this to make money, but you would like your expenses covered plus a little lanyard. Right. And like, you, yeah, exactly. like you just clarified 40 bucks for some tracks, a hundred bucks for others. Like this ain't, this ain't a, a money making scheme for y'all. This is something no. where this is a hobby that hunters benefit from and Absolutely. paying $40 in my opinion is nothing. Okay. For how far yeah. y'all go, for how far you walk, for how far you drive for feeding your dog. And then also, like I said, firsthand watching a deer, watching a dog get steamrolled, steamrolled by an eight-point buck, I can totally see how they can get they can get punctured and damaged and kicked and broken and all this stuff. I mean, these deer are. I'm not gonna lie, I've never seen that side of a deer before. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, you, I tell you what, and you can, you'll hear some noises you've never heard before either. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, they man. can make some racket, boy. Yeah, so. it, it was wild. Um, but yeah, I've been wanting to tell you that story all day. Three hundred dollars, you know, what's what kind of toys does he like? Is he good with kids? That's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, does he sleep inside or outside? Yeah. So um anyway, uh I, that one that one was pretty funny. We were pretty blown. We were like, oh, we'll go find and we we found it. We found it on our own this morning. Um yeah. right, right before the rain. But um Anyway, uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you was, how do you qualify whether a track is worth your time? So I'll say this. I actually had this same conversation with a guy earlier. So 10 years ago, we'll, we'll just throw a random time out there. 10 years ago, there were probably eight tracking dogs in Louisiana. Um, you know, tracking dogs weren't really a thing, if you will. I mean, people had them, mm-hmm. but they were kind of like that, that treasure that nobody knew about, you know, it was that picture your great, great grandpa gave you, you know, nobody knew who had tracking dogs. They were just kind of there. Mm-hmm. So every deer that was shot and you and your posse of 20 buddies couldn't find this deer. Well, then you call a dog and you say, okay, this, this dog's going to find it for sure. You know, because nobody really knew anything about tracking dogs. Well, in this day and age, with social media the way it is and the internet just in general, um, hunters have become a lot more educated on what what is and isn't worth it, um, just as well as, as tracking dogs have got more popular, so people are seeing more tracks. Like you said, the, the Louisiana Deer Trackers and other networks and stuff across the country, you know, a lot of people join those groups just to see the, the, the tracks and the situations that people come across. Um, so people are getting more educated to what is and isn't worth tracking. Um, but I will kind of give you a rundown. You know, a lot of people say, you know, man, I put it right on his shoulder. I, I, I shoot for the shoulders every time because I'm going to break them down. Well, that shot works real well until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of guys who take head shots. You know, I'm going to head shoot him. That head shot, I can tell you firsthand experience, that head shot is uh, either make it or break it. If you don't kill a deer – shooting him at shooting at his head you might as well hang it up because 90 percent of the time you've shot him in the ear or grazed his neck or some crazy stuff 
where you're just not going to find it. So what, not, not what we typically it's... try to do for an on-leash dog, the tracks that are really going to be worth your time are going to be anything in the organ uh, cavities. Any, you know, they got two cavities there. They got the diaphragm in the front and the diaphragm to the back. Mm-hmm. And if you hit in those organs, you're pretty well going to be worth tracking. Um, now, in the states where they can go off-leash, you know, leg shots are, are, uh, are not a problem at all. You know, leg shots are absolutely doable. Um, when you do this enough, you start picking up uh, tendencies of deer. You know, a leg shot deer will typically bed down the first time within 50 yards from where they were shot. Uh, it sounds crazy, but they will. And a lot of people mess up because they just run out there like, oh, man, I know he's going to be right here. And then they find leg bone and they look out there and they walk out in the woods 20 foot. Well, now they've jumped the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, a, in an on-leash state good tracks uh tracks that are worth really doing will be anything in the organs uh chest to uh, chest to stomach whatnot and then in off-leash states you know you can include the legs um those guys in mississippi boy they get real rodeo they i've heard of them shoot somebody shot the tail off a deer and their dog ran it down and and caught it and baited up or whatnot and uh so it it all depends on the laws and the amount of dogs you can turn loose because i'm telling you if you draw blood and I can turn six dogs loose, we could probably catch him regardless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's when you kind of get into running deer dogs more than tracking deer. Um, we, we try to stay on the tracking side of thing. You know, if the deer can live and totally be fine, we, we don't want to go run a deer down or, or, or track him for, you know, 10 miles just to, just to finally get a shot at him again at 300 yards. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking, the, the deer that we want to track are the ones that are going to be dead or going to die for certain um, if you don't find them. That's it. So. I'm glad you clarified all of that. Um, what uh, what do you think the the, the most common, um, I guess you could say, the most common shot that a deer that you lose a deer on is it a gut shot is it a shoulder shot is it uh, like you said a, a head shot do you keep any kind of type of statistics like this in your head or? absolutely yeah. absolutely um, most trackers who, who do this for very long will start keeping a small journal or log of, of what's going on um for me uh at least in my area the the shoulder shot is the is the bane man it, it really is so many people say that you know oh i'm shooting them in the shoulder because even if I don't hit them in the heart, it'll, you know, it'll break them down in the front end and whatnot. And that, like I said, it, it's a great shot until it's not a great shot anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the shoulder shot is the worst thing for me. Um, I would say, and, and I tell people this all the time, especially if you have access to a tracking dog, you would, you would rather play it safe to the midpoint of the body mm-hmm. rather than playing it safe to the front end of the body. Um, a gut shot deer, as I said earlier, is 100% going to die. If you get gut matter on the ground, the deer is going to die. Um, typically, that you know that's kind of where your chart comes in. I have a chart on Louisiana Deer Trackers where you could basically go in there and look at where um, where you think you hit the deer or where you're you know you're sure you hit the deer, and it goes in order. It it tells you from good to bad to to just almost impossible. Um, how soon you need to get after the deer or how how long you need to let it lay. Um, and those gut shot deer, if you shoot a deer in the gut and you know for certain he's hitting the gut, if you'll give him eight hours to lay out there, 99% of the time you will find him in the first 200 yards. And it all goes back to hunter education just as well as it does tracking education. Sure. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, so gut shot, um, the, the best time periods, eight hours. What about something where you think you got one lung or um, you hit a little high or, or something like that? How many hours? Well, for a one lung shot, I still try to give them a little time. Um, it, it, it really depends on the situation. So if you got into one lung and you got into gut, you can, you know, you can pretty much talk that up to um, just waiting the eight hours. I try to judge it based on the, the, the whole situation. So if you got into one lung and then you got into liver, you know, you could probably go on in there at four hours. Liver will typically kind of run them down a little faster, um, even though we kind of consider liver in with the gut. Um, so I'll say a leg shot deer in a state where you can absolutely go off leash, 
leg shot, you typically want to get in there within the first hour or two. Um, cause like I said, they're going to be laid up within 50 yards of the, of where they were shot. Um, you can go out there to where they're at, cut dogs loose, boom, they jump him up, bane, you get him put down. I mean, it's so simple when you can turn them loose. Um, double lung shot me personally, I still let them lay for an hour or two, even if I know I double lunged them. Um, liver shot, like I said, between four and eight hours, gut shot, eight hours, um, heart shot. You know, I, I hardly won't go after a deer unless it's been an hour or two, just because there's so much scent on the ground. Um, and even as a hunter, not, you know, when you remove tracking altogether, when I heart shot a deer and it runs out there and I think I hear it crash, I'll give it two hours. I, you know, it's going to be fine when I get there. So mm. interesting. Um, Locke, you got any questions, man? <laughs> well, not really. I mean, I, I, <laughs> you pretty much you you pretty much ask everything that's going through my head. Yeah, I mean, this is um, <laughs> no, it, I'm a straight information. I'm I'm learning a ton, trying to throw some different situations at you. Real, I'm I'm honestly, um, really curious to see like what some of your memorable tracks have been. Maybe something you've either been impressed by on a deer's will to live or um even maybe what's the what is the best shot you've seen that didn't kill the deer and how and is there have you ever seen anything that was inexplainable right so yeah i i could tell stories all night but i'll, I'll try to keep them short um so one of the most interesting tracks that I've ever heard of, now this wasn't something that I went on, but there's a guy uh, up north named Ron Silfer. Um, we've actually kind of became somewhat friends over the years through social media. Um, he, he runs Bloodhounds. He's a really good guy. Uh, Rockstar Dio is his dog. He's, he's a really, really cool guy. Um, he actually tracked a deer, I want to say it was three years ago now, that was shot double lungs, uh, I believe with an arrow, and... I don't know if he tracked the deer or not the first time, but the deer lived being shot through both lungs. Mm. It, it's almost unheard of. It's unexplainable by far, but the deer lived. Uh, so someone shot it later on. They found the deer, and when they gutted it, they, they pulled the lungs out, and he had two massive um, just scar tissue balls in each lung where yeah, he was shot through and through. Total pass through. I saw this story on Facebook. It was the top of his lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Or like but, dead, like all dead tissue. Yeah. It's crazy. It typically to me, if a deer shot in the lungs, they should die every mm -hmm. time. You know, that it's pretty unexplainable. That one is. Um, so I tracked a deer this past weekend. We actually tracked five deer on Saturday. I saw that, um, man. Y'all are freaking busy, huh? God bless. Yeah. I, I think I stopped following at four. I didn't know you found a fifth one. Well, we tracked five. We only didn't find one, and that was uh, the deer wasn't mortally wounded. Yeah. I actually think he hit him in the back strap. But um, so, so one of those, I want to say it was like the third or fourth deer. Um, it was a big mature deer. Um, big mature deer act different than young immature deer. Um, it's just like kind of like punching a kid in the face. God forbid, don't do it. But if, you know, if you punch a kid in the face, you know, hey, they're gonna roll around and it, it's bad right there away. You know, but if you punch a grown man in the face, he's you know he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's got some energy left after that. Yeah. So deer, deer are much the same way. Um, tracked the deer was shot double lung, perfect shot with a 35 wheeling. Um, deer ran 300 yards total down through a 20 foot deep canal that were literally straight up and down edges. He went straight across that and run 300 yards. Um, that's just almost unheard of Jeez. in itself. Um, the running 300 yards is impressive enough, but going down through a 20-foot deep canal straight down and straight up the other side is is just absolutely crazy also. Um, but we were finding chunks of lung once we got rolling on the track. We found chunks of lung on that track. Um, you, just wouldn't, you just wouldn't think a deer would be able to do that. Yeah. Well, here's here's uh, maybe a, a a biased question for you, but um, would you rather go on a rifle wounded track or a bow wounded track? That's kind of a trick question. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a, this it's is a let me let me remind you that this is the Louisiana Bow Hunter podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, and I'll I'll answer honestly. I mean. 
really and truly, I prefer bow shots just because you can tell so much more about what actually happened. Um, you, even the same for you as a hunter. You know, you shoot the deer, and then it, what's the first thing you're going to want to do? I got to go look at my arrow. Well, yeah. what does my arrow look like? So we as trackers, we want to know the same thing. What does your arrow look like? You know, when yeah. you have people shooting high-powered rifles, you know, sometimes they don't. They think they know where they hit them, but they don't have a clue where they hit them. Um, so that's that's. I prefer the bow shots because, like I said, you can you can see some gut material on a fletch in, or you can see some bubbles, or you can see some you know, some, some fat or some hair, some white hair, brown hair, mm-hmm. brown with black tips. I mean, there's so many different things you can look for on a bow or on an arrow rather than on a, on a rifle bullet. That's interesting. So, um, have you, have you ever had a track that you showed up that was an just an absolute waste of your time? Oh, all the time all the time um that's kind of part of the job right so like you said earlier you know if people's doing this to make a to make a profit boy they're they're going to be in a loss because i mean i would say us me you know my group of friends like i said we don't really turn down tracks so a lot of the times um at least the local guys i'll go out most of the time but they call it hey i my kid just tried to shoot its first deer i don't know if they hit it at all we don't have anything you know, and, and I don't mind going out there and checking, especially for a kid or a veteran or an older person who may not have, you know, 20 more years to be out there hunting. I don't mind going and just checking because my dogs, you drop them, they're going to run out there 100, 150 yards. And if that deer's not wounded, we're going back to the truck. Yeah. They're not going to waste time tracking a deer that's not wounded. So, uh, you feel like, um, you feel like it's a, too oftentimes this kind of emotional last ditch convince yourself of something and then convince yourself that 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 you're a miracle worker rather than an actual tool yeah i don't i don't feel like we do that but i do feel like hunters do that yeah no that that's what i meant like a lot of the calls yeah, yeah. you get yeah so we like i said earlier it, hunt, uh, tracking and hunting in general have come a long way from 10 15 years ago um what used to be as i explained you know Everybody goes out there and looks. We do circles. We walk all over this block of woods. Now we can't find it. Now call the dog. And they just assume the dog could do, you know, could do it all. The dog can find it for sure if we can't find it. Well, that's just not the case. You know, a lot of people think that a dog is the absolute last-ditch effort, you know, and it's really not. Now, I will say there's, you know, I don't want to track an easy-to-find deer. Um, There's a big misconception with that as well that I feel like is kind of brought on by, too many people trying to have tracking dogs that really don't, you yeah. know, I don't know a better way to say it, but don't really have business call having me, a tracking yeah, dog. Call they, me they no matter want. what. Like, you shoot a deer, call me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to get my there, dog there's from a, work. Yeah, there, there's a lot of people on social media now who want to have a tracking dog, I guess for a family picture or whatever, but <laughs> so their buddy shoots a deer and they go out there and put their dog on it 200 yards. You know, it's a double lung shot. There's blood everywhere. The dogs find it. So, people have kind of molded people into to not want to track their own deer. So there, I really look at it like this. There, there's three types of people now. There's the hunter that is not going to call a dog unless they just absolutely, I mean, they've grid searched the whole woods up. They found nothing or they found one speck of blood. So the deer's got to be dead. They're going to just overkill track it. And mm-hmm. then they might call a dog. So you've got that guy. And then you've got the guy who shoots the deer out of his box stand with a high-powered rifle and calls up his, his tracking dog immediately and goes, hey, I just shot a deer. And, okay, so have you tracked it? No, I shot it, and it's not laying there. You need to bring the dog. <laughs> so you've got that guy as well. And then you've got the, the people who do it right. And the perfect scenario to me is you shoot the deer, you go out there to the shot site, as I call it, you, you assess the situation. Okay, we got... We got a little bit of blood here. We got some brown hair, a little bit of white hair, and there's a piece of gut. Okay, we got a gut shot deer. You know, you at that point, you know it's gut shot. So there's no reason to just go charging out through the woods right then. Give it some time. You know, give it a little time. But we'll we'll say it's a different scenario. So it's a it's a you're not sure what it is. You don't know what's going on with it. But you got good blood, so you follow the blood. Well, now the blood kind of runs out. Well, you, you have you and your buddy or whatever, maybe you're by yourself. You mark that last blood with something. 
toilet paper works really good because it's biodegradable. Mm-hmm. So mark your last blood, mark it on your phone, on your GPS, but also physically mark it. So you know where it's at. You do, you know, maybe one or two little loops out there. You, you give it a good faith effort. You can't figure out which way the deer went. That's when you back out and call a tracker. That's when you start making phone calls. Hey, this ain't looking good. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to find it by myself. Um, and 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 then based on really at that point, I, I kind of prefer to if I'm coming out there at that point. At that point, if I tell you, hey, you're third on the list. I've got two guys ahead of you. I'm working on now, or whatever the case is, we'll discuss it, and then we will make a plan together. But once you make the phone call and you basically turn it over to me to say, hey. I don't know what's going on. At that point, I kind of take control of the situation. If you want to have the best possible chance to find your deer, trust your tracker 100%. You've got to turn the reins over to him and say, okay, this guy tracks more deer in a week than I will track in my life. You know, you got to trust your tracker. Mm-hmm. So the tracker really kind of makes the call at that point and says, okay, either try looking a little bit farther or, hey, back out, wait, I'll be there in four hours or whatever just go home and take your lunch break and we'll, we'll tackle it later. So it's all based on the situation, but it's very important to trust the tracker. So I'm, I'm, I'm number one. I'm the first guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm number one. And, and it actually, um, I, like I've told you before we got on this podcast, I've never called a dog for, for one yeah. of the deer that I've, that I've shot. I've never called one. Um, I've lost a, a, a fair share of deer. Um, Honestly, I don't know if a dog would have found them when I lost them. I, I would say 80% of the deer that I've lost, I don't believe died later. Um, yeah. either, either I made a mistake or I shot high in no man's land or I shot low and scraped the brisket or hit leg or, you know, whatever, something non-fatal. But I've, <laughs> I fall in that, uh, I fall in the, the first category and the reason why is actually absolutely zero consideration for a, a, a blood trailing dog. It's because I feel as if blood trailing a deer is a necessary skill in hunting. Um, absolutely. And, in um, in, 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 in the same way that I believe, um, processing your deer is one of the best parts of deer hunting. It's, it completes the cycle, right? When you start, and, and I hope you don't take offense to this, but when you start outsourcing certain um, job duties uh, of your hunter, um, you could say repertoire, um, then I, I don't think you're getting the full experience. Now, I, I am, I have always considered a dog to be like the absolute last ditch effort to find a deer. This morning, Chad's deer, for example. Um, I, we woke up this morning, we're going to go look for that deer. None of us wouldn't made a hunt. And I will be totally honest. I did not think we were going to find it. I did not think that deer, it, it went almost 800 yards and it never stopped. And we gave it six hours. Yeah. We never, I mean, we found blood for almost six of that 800 yards and it never stopped. It never laid down, never bedded down. We never jumped him. I mean, it, he kept going and going and going. He he had an address he was trying to make it back to. Um, and um, I didn't think we were going to find him. I really didn't. And um, that was that that was the point where I'm saying, hey, if we had a dog, we could probably find this deer. On the other side of the spectrum, like you said, are the people that call him before they climb out of the stand. And, right. and, and that's, I mean, that's probably, that's a big pet peeve of mine in these deer hunter groups on Facebook is when people say, this is my favorite comment, got great blood waiting on dog. And I'm yeah. Like, it's goofy. What, it's goofy. what do you, why do you need a dog? You have great blood. And you, Man, it is goofy. And, and that's, that is, I'll tell you what that is. That's a big part of the you know, free tracking dog movement that's kind of gone out. Yep. Um, and like you said earlier, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not doing this to make it rich, but I do want to cover my expenses. And when you, I'll be honest, when you, when you even put a $20, uh, minimum on your dog, if you say, okay, for me to put my dog in the truck is going to cost you 20 bucks. People stop calling for the oh, goofy stuff. I bet it cut it out so fast. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's kind of why, our group is set up the way it is. Our, our bunch is kind of set up the way it is because we're, we're trying to mold, 
not only good dogs but also good hunters i'm i'm in total agreement with you to some to some degree rather um about the you need to be able to blood track a deer if you're going to hunt a deer that's Mm -hmm. just part of the skill set that comes with it now i'm not looking for somebody to be a navajo indian out there of course um but you know give it a good faith effort and that's why i say I really like the the guy who goes out there and he tries to track it and he runs out of blood and he still makes a couple loops because if I, if a person has a tracking dog that that's good enough to say that they have a tracking dog and not a prospect, their dog should be able to work through that. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's part of the skill set that we teach um, dogs is to be able to work through situations where people have given it their all. Um, even even down to another dog being there. You know, and I'm I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I have one of the dogs, one of the only few dogs in Louisiana that I know of that can go behind another dog and it, it just doesn't affect them at all. I mean, it's like the other dog wasn't there. You know, they you can put another dog out there and he can mess it up and then my dog comes in and we just blow right through that mess and get on get on past where that dog hadn't even been. That's because cool. these are trained dogs and not just, you know, Billy's down the road dog that he brought one time and found a piece yeah. of deer meat. So well, um, if we could, if if we could, kind of in, uh, inform our listeners of, of the um, the uh, protocol is not the right word I'm looking for, but but the the way to go about calling a dog, um, where where can they find that information? So for us, it's Louisiana Deer Trackers. Um, most people will have Facebook at this point um so they can go on facebook and just search louisiana deer trackers it'll probably pull them to our actual facebook page so we have like a kind of a business page set up mm-hmm. um, once you get to the page there's a big blue button there that says uh, visit group or go to group um, you can click that and that will bring up our group page um, you can request to join and then look at the announcements at the top and it'll give you you know um, there's several different ways we have it set up we have it set up by parish you can pull up what parish you're hunting in and then it shows trackers or um, a lot of guys uh, who are in big camps and there's a lot of older generation people who may not have Facebook. There's actually a map on there of parishes with a list and you can go to the parish you're in and say, okay, well, here's a number 25 guy in just say Richland Parish, which is where I'm at. So you can pull up Richland Parish, this guy compared to the map, boom, number 25, there's Josh Cook listed my phone number. So there's multiple ways to go about it uh, through our page. Do you think? Do you think um, compensation is a um, is a, a important part of the conversation um, before getting somebody to come out and visit you? Um, or sorry, before y'all go out and um, and uh, take a take a call. Like, if I call you, do you think the hunter should say, "Hey, what is this going to cost me"? I think it is fair to at least mention it for most people. Um, A lot of times, and and definitely the way we prefer, the way I prefer, I like the word of mouth tracks. Like you said, the the guys you're talking about over um, in in the northern part of Louisiana that you were with, um, whenever whenever they call me or somebody that they know calls me, they already know the game. They already know what what I'm there for and, you know, kind of my expectations, but to, to answer your question directly, I don't think it's so necessary to say, hey, I'm going to give you 40 bucks if you'll come on. Um, but I do think it should be part of the hunter's kind of mindset to just say, okay, this this guy's taking time. I need to give him something, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Okay. Now, yeah. I, I do think it is fair to ask, <clears throat> is this, you know, how much is this going to cost me? I guess if it's somebody you've never heard of, you don't know who they are, you haven't seen them before you might want to do a little bit of homework on not only how much they're, they're going to charge or if they're going to charge, but also their dog, you know, Hey, I don't think it's rude to, to ask a guy, Hey, you know, what, what kind of dog you looking at? You know, is this a, is this a dog that's found some deer? Is this your first year? You know, kind of give me some details because like I said earlier, you don't, you don't want to waste your time and your, and your phone call with calling a guy whose dog, has never been to the woods before to find a deer or whatnot. And you can really get in a, you can get frustrated with tracking dogs in general by doing that, by having a lot of what, what I call rookie dogs out there. Um, and on our page, we kind of have it set up that way. So if you pull up the parish list, you'll see 
Josh Cook, seasoned dog, and then you may see, you know, John Doe with a rookie dog. Mm-hmm. Um, the rookie dogs aren't aren't a bad thing. They're just still learning. So if you can't get a seasoned dog or you think it's going to be a pretty simple track and you want to help a rookie guy out, give them a call and let them come out or, you know, or whatnot. But when you shoot that buck of a lifetime, you probably don't want to, say, call up a rookie and then just hope for the best. You know, you, you need to try to weigh your options uh, when you call a dog. Man, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm out of questions. <laughs> you took all of mine. I took all of Locke's questions. I've been thinking about this all day. I have. I've, yeah. been, I've been, you know, we were supposed to, we were supposed to do this last night, um, but I was on that track, which is a very fitting way to cancel a podcast about deer tracking. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel it's the, probably the best, the best way to cancel a, uh, a podcast about deer tracking is to need to track a deer. Um, but I mean, I really can't think of anything else, Josh. Is there anything that that you want deer hunters to be more informed of for for dogs or the process or or anything like that? Yeah, so I have a couple things that I I really think are honorable mentions. Um, So I know I know y'all's y'all's viewer area or listener area is is large, you know, not just Louisiana. I'm sure there are a lot of states that um, that people listen to you from. And I will say, if you're in another state, if you're not in Louisiana um, and you don't really know who to get a hold of to get a tracking dog or whatnot, um, I'm also a member of United Blood Trackers, um, and they're a uh, American-wide, you know, nationwide tracking group. So any state you're in, you can pull up United Blood Trackers, and it can give you a list of people in whatever county or parish you're in. Um, with th- these are usually really good dogs in any part of of the united states so like i said that's a good resource to have for people who are like yourself traveling out of state hunting or are just from a different state and don't know who to call um that i think is very important and another thing i'd like to mention is you know i kind of hit on it a little bit about dogs that are you know maybe not trained or or at least not experienced and whatnot um, people who don't really spend a lot of time on their dogs. I don't want to well on it too much, but I will say if somebody thinks they have a dog that's, you know, that's going to make a tracking dog, you know, they say, oh man, I want him to be a tracker. He's just a natural. I think he can do it. Um, if you don't, if they don't want to waste some, you know, somebody's time or somebody's deer, I really urge people to get a hold of United Blood Trackers and test their dog. United Blood Trackers has set up uh, UBT one, two, and three. Uh, blood tracking test for dogs so Hmm. it's obviously not the not the same as a real track it's not going to be the exact same but i will say that you know just because they pass a ubt doesn't mean they're going to be the best tracker in the world but i will say that a a tracking dog will pass a ubt test so it's kind of a you know it's kind of a either or i guess um just because it can pass the test doesn't mean it's going to be a great tracker but if it is a great tracker it should be able to pass the test so I really urge people who who aren't sure about it to go give it a shot. You know, look them up. There's a judge up here in North Louisiana where I'm at, um, David Stouffer, right down the road. Um, And then there's also uh, another judge down in South Louisiana, uh, Cliff Schrader, and he can test dogs as well. And that's a super good way to really find out what you're working with. That's cool. That's very cool. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to add before before we shut it down? No, I think that's about it. You know, um, I really appreciate you guys uh, giving us a shout and, and letting us come on here and, and try to inform people, man. I, I really think it's a good thing to to definitely get hunters educated on what's going on and, uh, and, and let them know that, you know, tracking dogs are here to help. Yeah, well, look, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Like I said, we've been wanting to do this episode for a while. This is This is something that, I mean, honestly, I wish I had done this last year. Um, you know, that'd be one year, um, one more year under the belt that people listening can kind of file away this information in their head. And I mean, I, (laughs) I tell this, like I tell, I'd say the same thing to my real estate agent that I'm about to tell you. I hope I never have to call you. I hope we never (laughs) talk again. You know what I mean? Like, I like you cool guy. You know, my real estate agent was a girl. I said, you're a great girl. 
<laughs> I hope we never talk ever again. <laughs> That's right. You know, I, I hope I never need your services. I hope I never need to sell another house. Um, like, uh, I'm, but, but I'm glad you're here when I do, you know? Yep. Um, I mean, I, I hope we don't get on like a, uh, a, a first name basis where you stop answering my <laughs> calls when, when you see my name pop up on your phone. Like, I, I hope, uh, I hope that, you know, I don't have a, a future history with deer like that in, in, the, in the near future. <laughs> right. But, um, but no, for, for, for real, I appreciate you joining us tonight. Um, uh, Locke, I'm sorry for stealing all the best questions. Um, and pretty mellow. Yeah, and uh, I guess on that note, we'll shut it down, man. Thank you for joining. Yes, sir. Yeah, Absolutely, man. Talk Anytime. Well, uh, y'all be safe. Try and stay warm. Um, I think we're all in this crazy Arctic blast right now. Um, I, just for the record, I made a deer hunt today in a blizzard. Is the best way that yeah. I could put it. Um, you enjoy that, and it it and it made made a deer hunt in a blizzard, and um, I uh, I've got another hunt in the morning that's going to be a wind chill of negative five, and um, so this might this might not be, I'm this may be my last podcast ever because I might not survive tomorrow, so. I will. Uh, I'll end it on this one. At least somebody got to learn about some dogs before I I freeze to death on on the side of a tree. <laughs> so, but um. Anyway, y'all have a good night. Lock. Good luck in Kansas, man. Yeah, man. All right. I'll talk one to you later. One to go. Oh, you got one. I didn't. But nice. My buddy Gio was filming. Very nice, man. All right. Yep. I'll talk to you later. I got you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.